0: This show contains movie spoilers and swearing. Welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host RJ McCready and for this episode I'm going to be taking you back to a year in 1985 to look at Terry Gilliam's nightmarish, dystopian, fantasy movie, Brazil. So let's take you back to that world, that creepy world of Terry Gillingham's. Let's find out what's going on in that guy's head. Let's uh, play you guys a trailer and we'll see you soon.
1: Do you wake from your finest fantasy only to return to your daily nightmare? Mr. Walker. Yes? Is your mother about to look younger than you do? Does the woman of your dreams I love you. In my dreams, I love you. still have a few doubts? Then it's time to take a stand. to break out of your dog, humdrum life, and into Brazil. You're so pleased you can make it right this way. It's about flights of fantasy and the nightmare of reality. We're all in this together. Terrorist bombings. I don't think it involves anything unsavory. Trust me, Jack. ...and late-night shopping. Come here, True love. You don't trust me? Trust you? Trust you? The man who hijacks my truck loses me my job? Has every security man in town looking for me? Of course I trust you. I was only trying to help. Yeah. ...and creative plumbing. There's a problem. Can you fix it? No, I can't. From Terry Gilliam, director of Time Bandits, Jonathan Price. Sam, what are we going to do with you? Robert De Niro, I came into this game for the action, the excitement, go anywhere, travel light, get in, get out, wherever there's trouble, a man alone. Catherine Hellman and Michael Palin. We've always been close, haven't we? Yes, Jack. But until this all blows over, just stay away from me. Brazil. It's only a state of mind. We're all in it together, kid.
0: And welcome back guys, so the synopsis of this film is a short synopsis here, is a bureaucrat in a disotopic society becomes an enemy of the state as he pursues the woman of his dreams. It's an R-rated movie, it's got 132 minute runtime, and it's classed as a drama, sci-fi, fantasy movie. So there you go guys, that's the synopsis and let's just say everything's going normal so far for this episode yeah okay so let me tell you now this film is terrifying for me and i even watched it last night before the episode takes some notes and it scares me it's scares me in a way where it's not particularly like you watch a horror movie and there's a monster in it or as a ghost story and it creeps you out it terrifies me in a way where i can't really explain it or nor either can the director which is terry Gilliam who is fantastic. I think he's a great director. He really has that sort of... He brings something new to the table. He has a real signature with his movies. But there was a um, documentary after I watched the film, and it was called What is Brazil? And it goes through all the actors, including the directors and the writers. And there was this question, and someone says, What is Brazil? And each actor, including the director, pauses and goes... And they start laughing, going... "Um, yeah, and like I say guys, I I thought I mentioned that now at the start of this episode. Basically when you watch this film and you try to work out what it is, you get to the end of it and you go, well, funny enough, I'm like what well, the the director and the actors are in that documentary. I don't really know. You know, comparing it to let's just say another movie, you know, let's talk about okay, so Dracula. You know, there's a guy in a castle he's a vampire and he taken out by a protagonist and he turns other people into vampires so you can pretty much round that up into a short <laughs> synopsis but with this film you watch it and you go i don't really know exactly what this is all about but then when you when you dissect it it's got themes in it which is a nightmare that's that's the biggest thing that i've taken away from this film it's a nightmare and And when I explain to people, I I can't emphasise enough how much Gingham has actually taken the things that we do dream about and he's put it onto screen, which I think is incredibly clever. And I think that's where this film should get credit because there's parts of this uh, movie which delve into that. So I I spoke to Dan Bone about this with um, Nightmare on Elm Street, where there's things that you dream about and you have a nightmare and you can be running down a corridor and then the ground turns into mush which is which what is what happens in Nightmare on Elm Street and then with this film I think there's bits where there's things that happen to the main protagonist where you think that's well that's a nightmare situation so there's a bit where he goes to the Ministry of in- Information and he's got this new job and he's walking down the corridor with all the employees and the boss and he's you know telling them where things are and they're running very quickly through the corridor and then all of a sudden they stop and then our hero in this movie Lowry goes into an office and then when he gets into that office he's then working on a desk but the desk is being pulled through to the guy he's working on the other side on the room opposite and you just think that is a dream-like nightmare situation and I think that's very clever and that's what I like about this film so as you can hear my voice guys usually when I do an episode I can pretty much get you from A to B and go yeah this is an action movie this is a horror movie um this is a drama you know, this is a fantasy movie but this film right this is one of those films where I pick it up generally off the shelf and as I said it it, it does scare me in different sorts of ways you know nightmarish sort of ways as i've emphasized quite a bit so far on this this episode and um yeah that's where it's left me so i just thought i'd give you a little bit of an insight onto how (laughs) how this film (laughs) has affected me and it's just and i guess that is the um power of the director and the writers you know terry Ginnam and um you know as, as he brought me something different we mentioned this before you know it's great when you see something different yes he has but um there you go that's how, it's, that's how it's affected me guys but let's move on to the um who's written this film and how this film has come about the uh building block as i always say so uh terry Gilliam, uh he directed and wrote this movie with um several other writers uh tom stoppard uh who was involved in the Oscar-winning movie uh, Shakespeare in Love. He also helped out with uh, Sleepy Hollow, the uh, Tim Burton movie, and Charles McCohen. But the original story was written by Charles Alverston, who worked with Gilliam on Jabberwocky, but um, Gilliam took this story and then he rewrote it and uh, mixed it up a little bit. The film was distributed by Embassy Pictures with help from Universal, Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox and it had a very modest budget of $15 million uh, which was quite high at that time in 1985 but unfortunately it flopped at the cinema and it made $9 million but it has since become a cult movie and there's quite a high rating on IMBD of about 7.8 an IMDb, and it's got quite a high rating on Rotten Tomatoes so this uh, movie's found its place amongst fans as I said it's become a cult movie and um to mention here, it's a trilogy of imagination films for them. So the first movie that started it off was Time Bandits, which I've reviewed before. So that movie emphasizes on um, a world seen through the eyes of a child, and then you've got this movie which is seen through the eyes of a guy in his middle age, and then you've got the Baron Munch- Munchausen movie, which is the final one of this uh, trilogy, which is uh, the world through seen through the eyes of an elderly man. Uh, which is very clever and all films I think they all have their they all have a tie-in signature of fantasy, uh, again Dysotopian Worlds, um, horror themes, um, so they all tie in together very very well and um, I think it's a great trilogy. Then you've got a film score by Michael Kamen who's um, done scores for Highlander, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon. Uh, Life Force, uh, he was involved with uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall Album So he's got an amazing catalogue of um, film scores and Then you've got a really good cast in this movie as well which is uh, Terry Gilliam, royalty with his uh, Monty Python days So you've got uh, Jonathan Price, who plays our main character in this, uh, Sam Lowry He's been in other movies such as um, James Bond and more recently, The Pirates of the Caribbean, and he turned up as a character, one of the main characters in Game of Thrones. Uh, Robert De Niro—he's pretty much good in everything he does. Um, he would have been doing, going on to do The Untouchables at this time. He would have done, obviously, The, the Godfather before this. But his character in this—one um, of his one of his best performances actually—which is kind of goes under the radar. But when you see him on screen, he's great, and it's good to see at the time where De Niro was playing. Um, would have gone on to play Al Capone more serious roles In this you see the lighter side of um, De Niro Where he's playing a rogue engineer And he is kind of like the um, He's like a protagonist in this movie He's like a sort of guardian angel to uh, the Jonathan Price character And he, he does a great role in this Which I'll talk a little bit more about later on uh, You've got Katherine Hellman uh, Again, more wife and royalty here she was in time It's ian holm uh, another great actor he plays ash in alien and he's he was also in time bandits so again another royalty character for terry gindam uh, bob hoskins he funny enough he plays a plumber in this movie just before he goes on to play um or should i say he went on to go and play uh, super mario But he was in this playing the plumber before that Uh, Michael Palin And you've got Kim Greist Who plays Jill And she's the um, lead uh, female character in this movie And she was also in other movies such as Chud From around about this time I think it was the same year 1984 was a horror movie which I reviewed And she was also in Michael Mann's Manhunter and also it's mention, you've got Nigel Planer from The Young Ones. He played Neil in The Young Ones and Gordon Kaye from Hello, Hello. So the cast in this movie is really good. There's characters who you you, you watch this movie, and you go, oh, yeah, that's, uh, like I say, that's Robert De Niro, that's, that's Ian Holm. You can sort of relate them to other movies. So it's a really good um, cast in this movie. I love to say everybody does a real cracking performance in this film as well. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, like I say, as I always say, guys, it's a great building block. But um, moving on to a little bit about this film as well. So I, I said a bit about how this film freaks me out and everything like that. But um, it's just sort of look into Terry Gilliam's uh, work career here with how this film became about because um, he is known for exploring the themes of imagination and its importance to life and express uh, opposition and bureaucracy and authority and all those sort of things. And that's what this basically... As a roundup, this is what this film sort of delves into, like a, a total, a total state, as they call it. Um, and um, George Orwell's um, novel, the 1984 novel, that's uh, talking about like the Big Brother is a massive part of this movie as well, which uh, delves into that. And the other thing I like is just a quote here that I found is saying that this film is based on like a retro retrofuturism, uh, which basically is. The way that's explained is that it's a filmmaker making a movie in the 1940s about what life would potentially be like in the 1980s. So you're kind of like using that type of uh, steampunk technology that you see in this movie, which is, say, like from the 1940s, but then jazzed up a bit with future technology. So it's kind of like a look into the future and stuff like that, which is very clever. Um, Whilst I'm talking about technology with this film as well, it's worth bringing up um, is after watching this film last night, it's very clever how this film came out in 1985 and this would have been before um, mobile phones and advanced technology to what we have now. But getting them focuses on the fact that technology can corrupt us as a human race in some ways and it can also confuse us. So as much as it can help us out, The thing I found within this movie, especially with um, the lead protagonist film, Lowry, is that he's so, the world is so overrun by technology that the human race has almost forgotten about what it, what it is. And there's a certain type of sort of selfishness in this film. There's a a particularly very good bit in this film where he goes to visit his mum and her friends and they're having dinner. Again, it's a very creepy, horrible scene for me, you know, and they're having dinner and they're, ...basically they're all up their own arse... ...you know his mum... ...she's very sort of into herself with her friends... ...and now he's trying to sort of be there... ...and he's very much like the outsider... ...in this uh, network... ...and there's a clever bit here where... ...there's actually like an awful terrorist... incident where there's an explosion... ...in the restaurant... ...and you can sort of look at this as if it's like... ...that's awful... ...but what I've noticed here is that... Um, ...his mum and her friends are still having dinner... ...whilst all this chaos... Is going around them and it's almost like it's. It, I think the point that Gilliam's trying to make is there's some people um who really don't care. You know, they, they they can almost like just block that out and go, no, I don't care about all that. What's going on? This is my little world. This is my little bubble. And you know, I'm so up my own ass that <laughs> I don't really care. So I think there's just like clever little bits like that in this film, and I think that's kind of how you got to watch this film. Always got to pause look what's happening in front of you, take it away and then sort of move on to the next bit then. <laughs> um, and then you go into another scene, which was just as crazy as the one that you watched before that. So I just thought I'd bring that up now as a kind of um, a bit of, you know, getting them directing and storytelling and all that sort of stuff. And the other thing I like as well, um, before I get into the, the review of the movie is the actual, um, the, the way this movie is shot with the lens and the angles and you get some like pan shots you get shots that move move backwards and forwards um, some some scenes are a little bit distorted so it makes you feel a little bit out of place so yeah the, it, and I think that's like a clever signature way that the director puts this into the film with the the rest of this trilogy with time bandits and and you see those directional shots in those movies as well so let's do a um a buy size review of this uh this crazy movie guys and just give me a break here guys all right <laughs> this ain't a, no normal movie to review so uh in the words of jack burton i will do my best here all right okay so okay let's do this so the film starts off saying it's somewhere in the 20th century and it's like a disotopian world which is polluted, It's um, there's a lot of consumerism going on, it's hyper bureaucratic and um, we then go on to our main character which is Sam Lowry who is a government employee who um, frequently daydreams of himself as a winged warrior. Saving a damsel in distress. So in all this uh, chaos in this world he's living in, he just dreams of um, being a superhero, basically. And then uh, one day uh, before Christmas, you get a scene here where there's a there's a fly that gets jammed in a one of these sort like a sort of steampunk printer, I suppose you could say, and it misprints a copy of an arrest. I think it's Archibald Tuttle. Um, where it should have been the character who plays um, Harry Tuttle which is uh, Robert De Niro and they're figuring that he is the guy who is um, involved in all the um, terrorism in the city so you get a horrible scene here where you've got a family who are with some kids and the kids are just about to enjoy Christmas and then you get this um, arrest team that come flying through the um, ceiling with machine guns and they arrest the wrongly accused um, Mr. Archibald Tuttle and they take him away so that's your first sort of like nightmare scene and then it moves on to um, Sam Rower again who actually discovers that this uh, arrest is actually a mistake and he goes to visit the family to give them a refund like a sort of paycheck or something like that uh, from the company that he works for but then when he looks upstairs he notices that the character uh, Jill Layton is the woman of his dreams. So this kind of starts off the story where he tries to um, pursue her and he thinks it's crazy that that, that is a woman that I'm dreaming about. And because Jill has been trying to help out the family with the wrongful arrest, she is now considered as a possible terrorist suspect as well herself. So she gets um, tracked down by the authorities. And then as a twist of fate, uh, back at Sam's apartment, he has to a fault with his air conditioning unit and there's the other thing guys with this film is everything seems to have air ducts in it and air conditioning which is uh, tied into central services which is where sam used to work but he got fed up with it as a sort of tedious job and he's sort of moved on for for another job but in this scene here this is where he calls central services and you get harry tuttle turn up who is like this rogue engineer and as i said earlier it's, it's a great it's great when you get screen time with uh, Robert De Niro. He's great. He's dressed up like, um, well, he's dressed up like a Special Forces guy. He's got he carries a gun. He's got all his tools with him. But then Sam gets a knock on the door from the actual Central Service plumbers, and the plumber that turns up, as I said earlier, is uh, Super Mario himself, Bob Hoskins, and his partner who looks like Luigi. Actually, uh, they're called Spore and Downser. And Sam is trying to sort of fob them off, tries to say, yeah, everything's okay, but they don't believe him. They're just trying to snoop about. And you get a funny scene here where Robert De Niro's character is pointing a gun at these guys, but they don't notice it and then they leave. So Sam manages to get rid of them. And then after this, Sam is now on, I suppose you could score like a mission to try and find Jill, this girl of his dreams. And he tries to access some records, which are classified And the only way he's going to be able to look at this information is to actually be promoted to the information retrieval department. But earlier on in the film, he actually got a job with this department, but he turned it down. So he manages to get this job and then he gets into the records um, store. And then for a series of events, he manages to uh, track Jill down. And now when I was talking about this film being like a nightmare, there's actually a scene here where um, he's in a lift. And he sees Jill, but the lift is going down, and he can't stop it. And it's just almost like that dream sequence where, when you're. I, I just, could just imagine that, where you were trying to get to someone in a dream, and say, like, you're in the lift and you can't get out of it. So I thought that was very clever, and that's where this film is kind of like dreamlike. But he manages to um, track Jill down, he manages to help her escape. And what he does, he goes back to the uh, filing system and he recalls her as being dead. So he's basically falsified her death. And now for a moment in this film, you've got Sam and Jill, they're in a romantic uh, relationship with each other and they spend the night together. But when they wake up in the morning, things don't last that long. They get held at gunpoint by the government agents and Sam is now charged with uh, treason. And he's restrained in a large chair in a um, empty cylindrical, cylindrical room. Which is very creepy and very scary at the same time. you kind of got this uh, doctor wearing a mask of a sort of baby's head and all that. You get like a real sort of freaky scene here. And he's being tortured by his old friend uh, called Jack Lint, who's played by Michael Palin. And he tells him that Jill's also been killed because she was trying to resist arrest by the government. But before Jack starts to torture him, uh, this is where you get uh, Tuttle turn up with other members of the resistance and they come down on zip lines, they break into the ministry and you get them shooting, they shoot Jack uh, they rescue Sam and then they blow up the uh, ministry building As Sam and Tuttle try to get out, it's where the other members of the team you try to rescue him and they get shot by the uh, government, like military and certainly at this point in the movie harry tolt comes across as like the dream angel he's almost like he's the guy who tries to help him out throughout this nightmare is the character who turns up and you think it's a sigh of relief he's going to try and help me out but then that thing happens that again i, I, <laughs> I keep mentioning the word nightmare on this episode where they're fleeing from the buildings all blown up you think it's coming to the end of the movie now um Tuttle then gets covered by pieces of paper, and so that much that he gets covered in paper from head to toe, and then he just disappears. and It's almost like it again, it's like the sort of bureaucracy thing is it like paperwork, and systems, and rules, and regulations have consumed him that much that it's made him disappear as a character? I don't know if that's something that the director was just trying to sort of. Um, towards with that scene there but it's it's a clever scene it's a very terrifying scene so again now um sam is left alone and then after this scene sam then runs into like a funeral which is uh, one of his mother's friends and her friend has died of an excessive amount of cosmetic surgery and again it's it's quite a horrifying scene because you've got the um got the coffin And then Sam, he's being pursued again by the government and he he runs into the coffin it flips over and there's all this like sludge and horrible goo and bones that come out of it. And again, it's quite a horrible scene, quite a terrifying scene. And then when he looks at his mum, uh, his mum resembles the image of Jill, so again it's that, that nightmare thing. And then he falls through the coffin, he goes into like a void. And then he lands into a street from his like daydream. And the other thing I was mentioning, I forgot to mention, he also has like a a dream demon type monster, which looks like a sort of samurai that he fights. But that's only when he's in his dream state, when he's like flying through the, the air as that that superhero. Um, but at this point in the movie, he's uh, now trying to escape like the police and monsters, and he's um, climbing a pole of like flexi ducks. And then he comes to the door, and as he opens the door up, he passes through it, and then he finds himself in a truck, which is clever because it's a a room that's put onto the uh, flatbed of a truck, and as he drives away, there's Jill in the front driving. And she takes him to what I would say is like the safe, happy place in this movie, it's a nice little retreat outside of the city, and he's living the idyllic life with the woman of his dreams in a nice house away from the city and that's the end of the film unfortunately not guys no it's not because this film has a sting in its tail so in reality he's still trapped in the chair in that cylindrical room as you saw earlier where he's being tortured by his friend and it is implied that now he's been uh, lobotomized by his friend jack and sam has now fallen into like a sort of blissful insanity where he's like looks like he's daydreaming and then he just remains in the chair and he's smiling he's humming and he's uh, singing the song aquila do uh, brazil which is a song which i forgot to mention earlier um which is the main theme song to this um, movie and then that's it that's where it ends so there you go guys I, I got you there it's it, it's a crazy movie to, to review I didn't get everything in there but there's little bits I miffed but I kind of got it from point A to B there but it's um yeah it's, it, 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 if you haven't seen it go check it out if, if you have seen it comment some thoughts on, on the page but it's yes, yeah, it's and like I keep saying it's just a it's a crazy film it's a t- crazy Terry Gilliam movie it's um it's something different. It's something different. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll leave it at that. But what I will say is, like, um, it, for all its craziness and stuff like that, it is, it's a well-put-together movie um, with some great performances from some great actors, some really good special effects, um, some real pyrotechnics, um, stuff which is... Um, probably a little bit ahead of its time. Very good for its time in the mid 80s. You know the, the effects that they did manage to put together, uh, the soundtrack, the score. Um, and you really are left at the end of it. I suppose the the thought that I get at the end is is that uh, is it reality or is it a dream? It's it's probably a little bit of both. Um, so it kind of leaves it to the audience. So I think the the more times you you watch this film probably the better it gets and the more you can sort of dissect it and look at it and open up for discussion. I'm surprised it doesn't have its own, it might even have one, it might even have its own uh, social media page where people would talk about this movie. Um, I think you could probably go into it and it would segue you off into all different places. Um, but on the whole, you know, like my final thoughts is, oh, I do believe when I see this beginning of the film, uh, Terry Gilliam has brought us a nightmare to the um, screen in a very clever way so there's things that happen in this movie which um, we experience in our nightmares um, so yeah I, and I think that's testament to him as a director I think it's very clever and it does go very well with the trilogy um, as I mentioned earlier with the time Band, it's and Baron Munchausen, and each one of those movies has its um, sort of signature which you watch they all have their different themes but you can see they all have their own signatures and almost like a sort of haunting vibe to them as well but probably out, out of the three I'd say that Time Bandits is my favourite and I, I don't feel as freaked out by the end of that movie as this one does so um, there you go like I say go check it out guys um, hell of a movie great stuff from uh, Terry Gilliam. so there you go that is Brazil I will leave it at that <laughs> bloody hell Um, so there you go guys hope you enjoyed that crazy crazy episode Um, I will be back soon for um, my next episode is going to be again with um, Dan Bone we're going to be doing Batman from 1989 so something a little bit more sort of light hearted and something I could probably get my head around a little bit more so we're going to be doing like the comics and stuff like that the comic book theme so looking forward to that episode so there you go guys Um, as always I'm a proud member of the Legion podcast, so uh, please go and check out all the other shows there. Um, You can also find Bite Size Cinema on uh, the Legion Network. Um, It's on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube and several other players on the internet if you put in Bite Size Cinema Podcast Legion. I've got a Facebook page, there's some great stuff going on there, some great chat, great posts. Um, so please post any comments on there. It's the place to be if you want to try and contact me. And um, as always, guys, um, keep it bite size, keep it safe, and I'll see you soon.